ever since I was a little kid, I remember being fascinated by personality quizzes. I remember being in elementary school and taking my first Myers-Briggs test and just learning how my friends scored so differently on so many things. And it was really a point at which I began to understand that all of us are so different in how we view the world and how we interact with the world. And so when a few years ago, I discovered this thing called the Enneagram. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. I just loved the way that this particular personality tool really helped to ignite a better understanding within myself of how I view the world and how my friends and family view the world. And well, today we're going to talk all about that because I've got the Enneagram guy on the show. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. And this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only with their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever you are. My guest this week is Ian Morgan Cron, best-selling author, psychotherapist, Enneagram teacher, Episcopal priest, and the host of the popular podcast, Typology. His books include the novel Chasing Francis, the spiritual memoir Jesus, My Father, the CIA, and Me, and The Road Back to You, an Enneagram journey to self-discovery. Known for his transparency, humor, and depth of insight into the inner workings of the human heart and mind, Ian uses the Enneagram personality typing system as a tool to help leaders cultivate self-awareness and emotional wisdom. He is a sought-after speaker, thinker, and advisor to a growing roster of clients such as the Discovery Channel, Ramsey Solutions, Michael Hyatt Company, Warner Brothers, among others. He and his wife, Anne, they have three kids and they live in Nashville, Tennessee. I am so excited to have Ian on the show today. Honestly, I was so honored to have him. I am a huge Enneagram nerd and have followed his work for quite some time. So truly, it was so much fun and you're going to love this conversation. But before we get to my conversation with Ian, I have a question. Did you know that I have an ethical brand directory on my blog? That's actually what Chelsea used to start finding products for her boutique almost four years ago. Now, Emma's Uma carries over 50 internationally sourced brands and is the perfect one-stop shop for all of your gift-giving needs. And as a thank you to the Still Being Molly and Business With Purpose podcast community, she is offering 20% off with the code SHOPWITHMOLLY for the month of August. So head on over to shopwithmolly.com for all of the details. Also, I want to actually introduce you to a company that might not be a stranger to you if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. And it is a company that is going to help you more conveniently purchase with purpose. And that is simpleswitch.org. Simple Switch is an online marketplace for ethical and impactful shopping. They let you shop online for more than 3,000 products ranging from everyday essentials like toilet paper and hand sanitizer to special gifts like journals or jewelry. Every product has a positive environmental or social impact like planting trees or fighting human trafficking. 
Simple Switch is offering a discount exclusively for our listeners. So you can check out the marketplace on simpleswitch.org and get 20% off your first order with the code PURCHASEWITHPURPOSE at checkout. After two years of global impact, Simple Switch is raising money to grow the company and make ethical shopping our new normal. You can learn more about that campaign at igg.me forward slash simple dash switch. Okay, now without further ado, on to my conversation with Ian. Ian, I am so honored to have you on the show today. How are you today, sir? I am wonderful. Thanks. It's great to be on with you. Well, I have been a big, big fan of your work uh, for quite some time, really ever since I discovered the Enneagram. And I know so many of my friends who are also big fans of the Enneagram and, and your work, including actually my husband, uh, a couple years ago, read The Road Back to You and uh, discovered that he is an eight wing eight and <laughs> he is an eight to the uh, to the eighth degree. And then it was funny as he was reading the section on the two, he was like, oh yeah, okay. So you're a two. And I was like, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> so um, it's just, it's amazing how that book has been such a great tool in our, in our marriage and our relationship. And I just, yeah, you, you just have an incredible podcast. You have books and, and all these things. So I want you to give us the Ian 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Wow. Okay. So first things first, uh, I am 31 years married to a, a beautiful woman named Anne. We have three children, all adult children, one last one in college. And I'm also the dad of two of the most perfect dogs in the world, Percy and Pip. You know, when people ask me what I do, I always say, well, I've kind of got a portfolio life. I'm a writer. I'm a speaker. I'm a, psychothera- a trained psychotherapist, trained spiritual director, Episcopal priest, and like, you know, a Dove Award winning songwriter. So it's people say, well, what do you, what, how do you know what to do when you get up in the morning? <laughs> oh, and podcaster. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I know, and right? I, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't know, things just rise to the, you know, I've got a good team and they sort of tell me what to do. But, you know, I just had such a variety of interests. And I can remember a day when I was like, gosh, I, I feel like I must be vocationally confused or I have some kind of ADHD when it comes to my professional life. And it dawned on me one day that everything that I did, all of those different streams met up in the same pool of interest, which was helping people have a deeper conversation about who they are, who God is, why they're here, what does their suffering mean, what does their joy mean. Um, So just helping people accompany me on the journey of asking and and trying to answer ultimate, you know, questions of, of ultimate importance. Yeah. Man, that's so deep. And I think there's a lot of people that can really relate to that of being what you call it, like having this vocational, like, what am I doing? And I've had similar conversations with people. I was a, I was a comedian for 15 years and then I <laughs> played golf and I was a high school teacher and I worked in radio and I'm a podcaster. Like it's same thing is just kind of all around the board. But I realized that for me, it was this underlying thing of, I, I love to bring people joy. Um, and I love to talk about the, the real meaning of joy. And, but it took me a long time till probably I was 33 before I realized the underlying 
thing and all that. So I really relate to to what you were saying there. So, you know, obviously you do you do so many different things. How, when did you first come across the Enneagram and you realized that, oh, this was something? Because people, you know, in the last few years, the Enneagram is like this you know, new quote unquote trendy thing, but obviously it's been around a really long time. So when did you first kind of come across it and realize, oh, this is something I'm really interested in and, and want to dive deeper into? Yeah, I was at a Catholic uh, retreat monastery in Salina, Colorado. And I happened into their library and I came across a book by Richard Rohr on the Enneagram. Now this is 1992. Yeah. And uh, I picked it up. I was in a. Ma- I was at the time getting a master's in counseling psychology, and I remember sitting down and reading and thinking, "Where the heck has this been?" <laughs> like I've been studying abnormal psych and you know all these other courses, which are very important. I don't want to diminish them, but I kept thinking, "This is such practical psychology slash spirituality." I wish I'd known about this. It would have, you know. I just think it's a great tool. Yeah. So. I had little kids. I was getting to, I was in school. I had a lot going on. It wasn't the kind of thing I could really pursue, but it was always on my back burner. So then years later, I went to a bunch of trainings and then I eventually about eight years ago decided I was really going to throw myself into it, you know, really try and figure this thing out because I kept, well, first, first of all, I kept running into people who kept talking about it. Second of all, I felt like, you know, this could really help people. And I thought, there aren't a lot of books out there on the Enneagram that aren't 500 pages. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought, well, it'd be really fun to write a primer that would help get people in the door and learn enough about the Enneagram that it would help them, but not overwhelm them. Mm. So that's how the journey of the Enneagram and Ian Cron went. <laughs> Uh, now, obviously, you have a whole book, which I highly, highly, highly recommend um, for people listening who are maybe new to the Enneagram. They've heard about the Enneagram. So I, I don't want to take time today to, to really dive into the different nine types and all that kind of stuff because you have a podcast on it called Typology. Um, you have your book, which, again, I highly recommend. Um, my, my husband actually listened to it on Audible. It's great on Audible. So um, if that's a better medium for you... Um, so for the people listening, if you really want to dive deeper into the Enneagram, highly suggest those resources, which I will have in the show notes. But I do want to, there's a couple kind of questions around this whole subject that I've always just kind of been interested in. And it is like, how, how did you know, like as you were studying the Enneagram, what was the thing that really clicked for you when you realized that pretty much everybody can be broken down into these nine different types. What, was there a particular light bulb moment for you? No, I think it was kind of gradual. Of course, there's always this shock when you, you learn your own number and you think, well, my gosh, if, this is, if every other number is a, identifies and is as accurate as I experience my own here, mm-hmm. uh, then there really must be something to it. I think we have to remember that the Enneagram is not the be-all and end-all of psychology or spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's just one of many very useful tools, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes people get into the Enneagram and they become so enthusiastic about it that that's all they think about. It's all they talk <laughs> yeah. about. It's all they, And I'm always like, you know, there's a lot more to life than just the Enneagram. <laughs> yes, there, yes. There's a whole lot of other sources of <laughs> self-knowledge and self-awareness besides the Enneagram, though it happens to be a particularly useful system, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's important to remember that 
within each of those nine types, there is an infinite variety of expressions of that type, right? No two eights look identical. No two twos look identical. Mm -hmm. I often use the color spectrum as a way of trying to help people see what I mean by that. You know, you could have, we know that there's an infinite number of reds in the world, right? It's Mm -hmm. just a fact. There's infinite variety of shades, hues, contrasts of red. Right. So you could be rose colored or you could be, you know, some other color far away from it on the red spectrum. They would look nothing alike, but they would both be red. Right, right. Right. So the analogy is fairly obvious, right? You could have two eights that look absolutely nothing like each other, but the fundamental unconscious motivation that drives so much of the ways that they act, think, and feel is the Mm. same. Mm -hmm. So that gave me a feeling like this thing didn't limit people and put in boxes, nine types, you know, that always do the same thing in the same way, look the same way. It's like, no, this thing is far more complex and open than that. Absolutely. I think for me, when I first read The Road Back to You and I read the section on the two, I mean, I think there it was like the entire chapter, I was like, this is me. I think it was like maybe one or two points that I was like, I don't really identify with that. But like for the most part, it was just like you were describing every single thing that I'd never been able to fully articulate. And so it really began to help me better understand myself, my motivations, and and further help me kind of clarify and check myself if I'm like, okay, well, if I'm doing something, you know, am I doing this for the right motivations or am I doing this for the wrong motivations? Um, it helped me understand my husband better. So it just, it really did help us communicate in, in a deeper way. Um, again, just using it as a tool. We've used lots of other tools, obviously, where, you know, we're both very strong believers. And so we, the Bible is, is obviously our, our foundation, but I, I think it's so beautiful to be able to take something like the Enneagram and see the different ways that God has created people and how we are not a monolith. And so we are not all the same and, and we can we'll begin to really understand what motivates somebody to see that that's how God created them and, and how we can um, interact with that person. You know, obviously, this is a tool that is gaining steam in the business and the corporate world. And a lot of organizations, nonprofits are using the Enneagram in kind of their management and the way that they're leading their teams. How have you seen the Enneagram really be impactful in kind of like a workplace professional environment? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you should ask that because most of my work is corporate. Yeah. Um, I, I do a ton of corporate consulting presentations and helping people see how the Enneagram can be integrated into their teams and into their businesses. It's interesting. I heard a psychology professor not long ago. He said, every team in the a workforce has problems. And the vast majority of those problems are personality problems. <laughs> And I can just tell you, the higher you go up in an organization as a manager or something like that, you begin to realize I'm doing less business and more personality management. So if I go in and I work with a team and they all learn their types, I spend eight hours, let's say, with them and I go through the Enneagram. The beauty of it is that they begin to understand that other people see the world so much differently than they do, that they're motivated by things so different than what they are. Hmm. Uh, I think one of the most, you know, 
dangerous mistakes a leader can make is to assume that their way of seeing the world is normal. Because if they do, that means everyone who sees the world differently that they come across is either stupid, right? Right. Or, you know, just doesn't get it. Right. right? And when they learn, leaders learn, teams learn that there are nine normals. Then they can begin to appreciate difference. It reduces conflict. It improves collaboration and cooperation. It detoxifies cultures. I mean, the list, you know, improves communication, improves retention and engagement. I can go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and give you story after story of companies I've worked with that have experienced profound and dramatic changes, you know, removing all kinds of inefficiencies because that were caused by personality misunderstandings. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, having, you know, I haven't worked in an office setting or a corporate environment in a few years, but when I think back to my times, you know, especially as a high school teacher, when I was working in radio, I mean, uh, yeah, the biggest issues that would we'd come across were always in the area of personality conflict and and figuring out how to communicate differently. And it's funny looking back now because my husband and I actually met at work. We both worked at this radio station. And uh, I remember he, I was actually kind of taking over a role that he had filled and he was moving more into the sales space. And this was before we were even dating. And I remember like looking back now, I needed his help because I mean, I'm a two, he's an eight. And but at the time, you know, I needed his help because I didn't know what I was doing in this new position. I had just kind of gotten thrown into it. And he was supposed to train me. I mean, I, I remember sitting down and I was like, okay, are we going to, you're going to train me? And he standed, he handed me just like this stack of papers and he was like, all right, read this, go. And like, he just walked away <laughs> and just was almost annoyed by the fact that he had to help me. Like looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, those are completely our communication personalities is I want all this help. I want to help him. And he was like, nope, <laughs> figure it out. You got to do it yourself. Well, you said something that actually kind of triggered another conversation I wanted to have because we are obviously in, you know, there's a, a giant elephant in the room. There's, we are months into this unprecedented time of trauma as a, a culture around COVID-19. And it has completely changed and impacted every single person's life. And, you know, so sometimes the different types are going to handle that trauma well and communicate through that trauma well. So, um, and I don't know if I'm framing this exactly the way I want to, but I'll just throw it out there anyway, is how do we really love and seek to understand others well during this time, maybe kind of using the Enneagram as a tool for that. Yeah. Well, I actually just did a series on YouTube called the Enneagram and stress, mm. which is really about the Enneagram and stress in the time of COVID. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, every type is going to have different challenges and opportunities in a time like this. You know, I'm a four on the Enneagram, the individualist. COVID quarantine has not really been too much of a problem for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, for you as a two, the giver or helper, it would be much more difficult. Yes. It has been very right? difficult. Yes, because you're not able to... Your, your social universe has shrunk to you and your husband and whoever else is living in your house. Mm -hmm. Right? And so for you, getting on a Zoom call is, you know, not 
is not your jam. You want to mm-hmm. be in the room with people. You're, you know, you're a hugger. You're a tactile person. Um, yes. You really can't, you probably can't attune to people's feelings as well over a screen as you can in person. Yep. So, you know, for me, not as big a deal. I'm a creative. I stay home. I write. I'm thrilled to have time that where people aren't asking me to go to lunch and breakfast every day. And, you know, uh, so it's, it's been great. For fives, it would be fine, you know, the investigators. But other types would have a, a more difficult time. Again, self-knowledge is kind of the key here. If you know yourself, if you know your type, you're going to be aware of the strengths and the challenges that you're going to be able to bring. Mm-hmm. to traumatic, difficult times. And if you're alert to them, you can cut the challenges off at the past before they take over and into reactivity, right? Yeah. And you can build on what your, your strengths are so that you can love the people in your world that are struggling as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw, um, you know, even somebody who's a six uh, commented, they were like, I've been planning for this my whole life. Like this is, this is what I was right. created for. <laughs> yeah. Now, on the other hand, the challenge for a six is, is the 24 hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They got to limit the amount of time that they spend hearing about COVID. Yeah. And, you know, the, I mean, I want people to be informed, but, you know, sixes can take it to a whole new place in terms when they feel there's danger and fear in the environment. It's like they, there are little amygdala lights up and they can't help but <laughs> keep watching the news to get ready. Yeah. It's like, okay, I got to get ready. And sixes love to hear from experts. Mm-hmm. So go on CNN and everybody's an, a new expert on COVID, right? Like my mother could have been on there last week talking about what she knows about COVID. <laughs> And she's 92. So, I mean, you know, if you know your weaknesses, you can move through the world with more wisdom mm. and say to yourself, not a good place for me to be. I need to do this and uh, avoid that. And that way I can live in a state of good equilibrium. That's a really important key is the whole under this whole idea of understanding and knowing our weaknesses. And knowing where we fall, you know, feel not fall short is not the right word, but um, knowing where we struggle and, um, and then, you know, identifying our strengths and, and playing more to that. And I mean, like you said, for me as a two, yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm kind of unique in that I'm an introverted too. So I, there have been aspects about quarantine that I have enjoyed and that like, I'm like, okay, I, I like to be home, but I'm, I am the person who is always wanting to find a way that I can help somebody or, or serve somebody. And when you're socially distancing, I mean, I can't, I can't do that. And so then I just start to feel like I'm going crazy. And so I have to know like, okay, I have to kind of identify those things in myself and then I have to figure out, okay, well, what is a healthy thing that I can do today? Like what's a, a, a healthy way I can love my neighbor? You know, can I send a Grubhub gift card to somebody that I know is maybe having a hard time? You know, something like that. For me, a big love language of mine during this time has been handwritten notes in the mail. I've gotten into the habit of sending like postcards or just handwritten cards of encouragement to people because that's a way that I can kind of tangibly love on somebody else. And like, that's been a big blessing for me is when I get, uh, you know, a card in return. So, but knowing our, our weaknesses and, and, and how we move through the world like that, I just, I really love the way that you, you put that. And again, you know, when we're in stress and when we're in the midst of, of trauma, sometimes we can 
judge the way that others respond to trauma, and we can even kind of judge ourselves. Have you found during this time, like, is there something that we can do to better understand and not be quick to judge how somebody else responds to the coronavirus versus, or even second guessing things that we say? I don't know. Does that, does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it always comes down to just developing a regular practice of compassion, you know, Mm, Yeah. Um, which sounds easier said than done, actually. But just remembering, like, it's interesting, when I get, I had an argument with a guy in the street the other day about something dumb, you know, like it was about parking. And, you know, I remember getting in the car and thinking to myself, you know, that guy has a sister. I wonder how his sister is. You know, guy's probably got a wife. I wonder what his wife, how she's doing. I have no, you know, in other words, you, you try to remember that the person that you're dealing with is as complex as you are. Hmm. And and that they're suffering too. Yeah. In their own way. Whether you know them or not, one thing you can know for certain about every human being is at some level they're suffering and they're hmm. experiencing that suffering all the time. Hmm. And 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 maybe the way I would put suffering, if I were going to define it, is everybody, and this is using more spiritual language, nobody feels at home. Yeah. Ever. You know what I mean? And and so maybe that's how I would define suffering is this feeling of not at home. It's this disease in the world. And if you can just remember that that's how we're all moving here, it can arouse and awaken compassion for other and get you out of your own ego's obsession with itself. You know, how dare you take my parking space? Do you you not know who I am? That's usually what my ego says, you know? Yeah. But if you can get past that and be able to say to people, to say to yourself, you know, everybody has a different response to this. How can I be compassionate towards what it is and not judge it or belittle it or anything else, but just be present to it and kind, you know, kindness is a very underrated virtue. Yes. Yes. And um, as my friend Sharon Hottie Miller says, like there's a difference between being nice and being kind. Jesus oh, yeah, is kind, sure. but he wasn't nice. <laughs> so, right. so there's a, there's a difference in understanding understanding that. And yeah, kindness and compassion goes a long way. I was, you know, a couple weeks ago, I was in the you know food lion, and I was saying, I mean, it's just right now going to the grocery store is a nightmare in general. But um, you know, I'm I'm in line, and and the markers, the six feet apart markers, were just not set up very well, and there was a couple people that just kind of kept cutting in the line because there was so much space between everybody. And one guy in front of me just was not happy about this. And finally, I just kind of looked at him. I said, man, like that woman right there, she's got two kids with her. She doesn't want to be here in the grocery store right now during the middle of a pandemic with two kids. Like, just let her go. Just let her go. Like my two kids are at home with my husband. Like, and, uh, and he just kind of looked at me and he was like, you know what? You're right. And it just kind of eased the situation. And so, yeah, I mean, I was certainly annoyed too. Like there was lots of people that were cutting and, um, but yeah, you know, like I said, whether it's a parking space or cutting in line at the store, or even if we just, we all have differing opinions on the masks and just all the things, there's so many opinions. And if we can seek to understand and have compassion for each other, that'll go a really long way. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm taking just a quick break from my conversation with Ian to tell you about a couple other partners of the show. 
The first is Lemonade Boutique, a women's clothing with a cause store, featuring ethically made and fair trade items from over 10 countries. Every item is made by women facing extreme challenges such as trafficking, poverty, and more. Your purchase directly empowers women to take life's lemons and make lemonade. Shop at thelemonadeboutique.com. And listeners of the Business with Purpose podcast can save 15% by using the code PURPOSE15 at checkout. Also, another partner of the show is GoX. At GoX, they believe in the power of purchase. They use a simple t-shirt to connect their customers with their apparel makers. GoX customers sustain fair wage jobs that liberate workers from poverty and empower them and their families in communities. They are so proud to be a verified member of the Fairtrade Federation. You can shop sustainable, eco-friendly t-shirts and sweatshirts with purpose today at goexapparel.com. That's G-O-E-X apparel.com. Okay, back to my conversation with Ian. Now, I'm also curious, you know, the, the Enneagram has gotten so popular that in a lot of ways, it, in some cases, it's kind of being reduced to memes. <laughs> and there's so many Enneagram memes. And I'm curious if you feel like that is positive in that it gives more exposure to the Enneagrams, or do you think that it kind of hurts the real work um, that the Enneagram can do because people are reducing it more to stereotypes? It drives me crazy. <laughs> I will just tell you. Yes. I can, I can barely look at Instagram um, because there's always somebody with, you know, the nine things for Christmas or the nine things for this or the, you know, and I'm like, oh, golly, that is just pathetic. And what it does <laughs> is, it, is it trivializes Hmm. Um, the, the Enneagram, I mean, you know, the Enneagram is a very powerful system for helping people grow spiritually and psychologically. Yeah. And so, you know, when people get their hands on it, suddenly they think they're experts at it. Mm -hmm. I, I see more people advertising themselves as Enneagram coaches. And I'm like, I'm a psychotherapist. It took me five years to really understand the Enneagram. Yep. Right. And so suddenly someone goes to a class for a weekend and they come back and they've started a coaching thing on the Enneagram. And I think to myself, stop it. Mm. You know, just, you know, and the memes, you know, in, it makes it cutesy. And it's like, yeah, it drives me nuts. That's the best way I can say it. <laughs> I, uh, I find it insulting to the system, mm. uh, disrespectful to people who've studied it for many years mm. and use it really, really well with people. And, um, but you know, this is what happens when something like the Enneagram has its moment, everybody's going to jump in and try and either make money from it or get attention from it. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good point. And I appreciate your honest input on that. Um, Cause I, you know, a friend of mine who is also really loves your work. Uh, she had, she had kind of mentioned that and we'd had a little bit of a conversation around that. I said, you know, that's a really good question. I'm really interested as to what he, his, his thoughts are on that. The only thing, you know, cause I, I've kind of felt that same way too, where I feel like it kind of just reduces it to these stereotypes and, and trivializes it a little bit. Um, although I have to, I do have to tell you one story is I, I saw 
um, one of those kind of artists had created, um, it was like the office environments of the Enneagram types. And she'd kind of painted these pictures and it was like the office environment of the two. And it was, <laughs> there was like a, a print on the wall on her office and it was like inspirational print. And it, the print on, on her painting said, work hard and be nice to people. And I literally have a work hard and be nice to people print on my wall <laughs> right by my desk. So I was like, well, there might be some truth to that. It's just, that's the exact print I have. Yeah. So let's talk for a second, though, about the difference between a stereotype and a type. Because mm, okay. they're not the same. Yeah. So a stereotype is a generalization about a whole group of people that by virtue of its generality is inaccurate, right? In other words, if you say uh, you have a stereotype of, I'm trying to think of a group of people. Well, some some social subset, right? You you have a stereotype about poor people, let's mm-hmm. say. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That is insulting. It, it's right. throwing. It, it's as if you're saying there's no individuals in this. Right. It's all one lumped, you know, generalization about every single person in that subset. Right. Typing doesn't do that. I mean, what typing does is says in any subset there is an infinite variety of expressions of those people. They're individuals all having individual lives. So, you know, when we talk about the Enneagram, you know, at least when I do, I'm always trying to remind people that, you know, they are unrepeatable, Mm. right? But there are parts of them that are like nobody else. There are parts of them that is like a particular group of people. Yeah. And there's a part of them that is like everybody else, mm. you know? So people stereotype with the Enneagram all the time. And I always have to kind of rem- either bite my tongue or say, you know, actually that's a stereotype, you know? Like I'll tell you this about twos, for example. Twos are, I have met, there's a, there's a subtype of twos that are incredibly ambitious. They are, uh, are you a social two? Do you know I, if you are? Well, I would say that I'm an ambitious too. So, um, but I, I, you know, it's interesting in that I am very introverted, um, but people think I'm an extrovert. I get mistaken yeah, if, for an extrovert all the time. Right. Well, some people think of every two is a, like a big Italian mother who's going to come and, you know, like, come on, baby, come yeah. on, make some meat sauce, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I have met some intense, driven, ambitious attention getting twos yeah who you know are in the workplace watch out i mean yeah. they're coming you know and so to say that the stereo i guess what i'm trying to say is there's so much more nuanced yeah than what you see on the internet right you're just seeing these kinds of character you know they are the caricatures right of yes types, but they're not the real deal Mm. Well, I really appreciate you kind of explaining that distinction because I honestly had never thought about it that way before. So um, that was really kind of enlightening for me. um, And I know it will be for somebody else. Now, I'm curious too, um, I have quite a, a few amazing friends who are on the autism spectrum. Um, and I'm curious, uh, w- one of my friends was wondering, how does the Enneagram take into account non-neurotypical people, you know, be it adults, teenagers, or even children who might be on the autism spectrum? Have you have any, had any experience with that? Not much. You know, as a therapist, that has not been my area of expertise, you know. Yeah. Um, 
I will say this just about mental health in general, not, mm -hmm. not autism per se, but the Enneagram is, as Helen Palmer once said to me, she said, it's for garden variety neurotics. <laughs> so in other words, you know, when you start to have mental health conditions that are life interrupting, causing significant problems, whether it's a personality disorder or a biological disorder, Enneagram just becomes less and less helpful because there's just too many other complications in the mix. You know, I'm sure someone has written a PhD paper out there on the Enneagram and autism, but I haven't yeah. read it yet. Yeah. Um, so I just think that the Enneagram isn't designed to be a measure of personality with that level of science. Mm. Mm. Well, that's really interesting. Now, there's obviously, there's been some talk about, uh, you know, that or there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about that, you know, our Enneagram numbers are pretty much assigned at birth <laughs> to, a, to a certain extent. We don't change numbers. Now, I'm curious, at what age do you feel like it's appropriate to introduce children to the idea of the Enneagram, or do you think it's appropriate at all? Well, like in our house, if, if, if our kids had grown up with us, and they didn't, so the, my kids were in their late teens when we were starting to really go deep into the Enneagram. You know, eventually a kid's going to say, what are you talking about all the time? You know what I mean? And they're going to develop <laughs> yeah. a natural interest and they're going to yeah. want to know what type you think they are. And there's going to be a lot of conversation around this. So the topic may come up that way. I'm always warning parents, don't try and type your kids when they're like 10 years old. Or, yeah. You know, now if the kid takes an interest, fine, let them read about it, you know, but I don't think you're going to, a person is self-aware enough, at least in their late teens, yeah. before they can start to really type themselves accurately. I will say, though, you know, I've met parents whose 14-year-old discovered they were an ex, and it was like world-changing for them. Mm. They, they went, oh my gosh, now I understand myself in a way that I, before it explains why my peers think this, you know. So I guess I'm not dogmatic about it, but definitely not when they're little bitty ones, you know, yeah. like five, six, seven. The personality just isn't, it hasn't hardened enough, you know, it's like wet cement. Mm, that's a great analogy. That is a great analogy. Um, yeah, because I, I mean, I, I see, I look back on my own childhood and I, I think about different things that have influenced how I am today, but I certainly look back and, and wet cement is the perfect analogy to what I was as a child, <laughs> constantly yeah. changing and evolving. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, and think about what adolescents are like. Oh. I mean, ad adolescents yeah. are trying on a new personality every 15 minutes. You, yes. you know what I mean? So, so to, you know, but some kids, I don't want to make that a blanket statement because I have seen some kids really, really benefit. But I will tell you, lots of Enneagram teachers are adamant and would say it's dangerous to type a kid when they're little. Mm, that's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, because it might make them think one thing and then as they grow older and then all of a sudden they start to question it or I don't know. Well, what would happen is, is the child would pick up on the parent's belief that, oh, my child's an eight, and then they start parenting to an eight. And so then a child who wants to please the parent will start acting like an eight even if they're not one. Mm. And so now what you've done is you've set your child up to be somebody they're not. And then later in life, they're going to have to unsort that. Mm. Yeah. Man, I had never thought about it that way. 
Well, Ian, before we transition to the get to know you round, because obviously I could ask you 700 million more questions. Um, I'm just kind of curious. I, I always like to ask this is just, you know, obviously the Enneagram has been around a long time, like I said, um, but it's gained a lot of steam in the last few years. What is sort of your vision for it kind of in this current climate and, and going forward? And, you know, do you have anything kind of big on the horizon that you're, that you're planning or dreaming? Yeah, well, I mean, I just really think that the Enneagram can help people begin to appreciate difference. Yeah. Among many other things that it can do, you know, to give people self-knowledge, to help people see that other people don't see or experience the world the way that they do. It could reduce the us versus them mentality that mm. seems to fly around, you know. It can do so many positive things for marriages, for relationships between children and parents. I love anything that's helping bring reconciliation and hope and joy and understanding and compassion between people. Yeah. Right? You know, I have so much going on. I, you know, we have typology. We have my book, The Road Back to You. We have Enneagram assessment on my website called IEQ9 um, that people can take to try and figure out their type. I'm putting together a live online training right now for all, actually nine online trainings, one for each number. Wow. Uh, so it'll be 90 minutes per number uh, of dedicated time. And, you know, gosh, and more. Uh, yeah. It's amazing to me. I get up in the morning, I think, well, which do I do first today? I'm not sure which when's the next deadline? I have to call my assistant. <laughs> yeah. you know, so I, there's just so much happening. And I'm, yeah. so, I'm so grateful for it all because it's a nice thing to get up, to get up in the morning and realize, you know, I'm going to work on something today that might be helpful to some people mm. and get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dream, right? That's the dream. And I mean, seriously, I, I, someone said to me, yeah, I said to them all the time, I say, I get paid to answer interesting questions. And I said, <laughs> yeah. what a great, that's a great gig. I get up and people ask me interesting questions all day long. And they pay me for it. It's fantastic. <laughs> that is the dream. Um, and I love, I, I love the way that you have taken something like the Enneagram and how you really have used it in a way that impacts people and, ch and really can change lives. Like it can change oh, somebody's yeah. life. And I just, I think that that is incredible. And I, I really love the way that you have, you've done that. Um, I mean, you've, you've impacted me in a lot of ways and I know, you know, thousands, mm. if not millions of other people. Well, I'm incredibly grateful for that. That is what happened. Yeah. You could, I could not have predicted, you know, it happened and I was surprised as anybody. <laughs> God Maybe is hilarious. More. God is hilarious. Maybe. He he, right. he has a sense of humor. Um, all right. So this is the part of the show where I just get to ask some fun, get to know you questions. And it's one of my listeners' favorite parts of the show. So Ian, are you ready for the get to know you round? I hope so. <laughs> okay. Uh, question number one is, of all of your pet peeves, which one is the strangest? <laughs> <laughs> when, when people chew too loud. <laughs> It can yes. drive me nuts. Yes. I'm sitting, if I'm on an airplane and the person next to me orders the, uh, like the wheat checks, you know, <laughs> like <for> breakfast, <laughs> my, I feel like I'm sitting next to a dairy cow. You know, I'm just driving. I just want to go, stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Let them soak in the milk longer. Oh my 
my gosh. Yeah, that's yeah, no, that's great. I love it. Okay. If you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, what would it be? Ooh. Gosh. It would probably be angel hair pasta with pesto. Yes. Yes. I am a pesto fanatic. Me too. Me too. I actually have an entire thing, uh, like a window box full of basil growing right now so I can make my own pesto. So do we, right outside. So good. So good. Here's a quick digression recipe for you. Are you a meat eater? Yeah. Okay. So you get uh, like panini bread, you get some deli turkey meat, you get some provolone cheese, spread that bad boy with some homemade pesto, put another panini on there, wrap it in a tin foil, bake it in the oven at 350 for like 12 to 15 minutes. You are welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Don't laugh. I'll try it. Yeah, it's so good. It it, it sounds like a nap coming on, but you know. (laughs) Yes. So, so good. Um, Okay. Did you have any favorite TV shows that you loved to watch when you were growing up? Oh, growing up. I could probably name a few. You know, obviously all the cartoons. You know, I loved Scooby-Doo. Yes. Uh, I loved watching the Brady Bunch. I loved, <laughs> you know, uh, that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, i trying to think if there's anything that really sticks out at me that I'll probably remember in two hours. Oh, you should have said that. <laughs> Uh, Lost in Space oh, was a big one when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah. Star Trek was a big deal. <laughs> I loved all those shows, yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, obviously, being an Enneagram teacher and, and people you know, that know the Enneagram, they know you're a four, what is something that somebody would never guess about you? Ooh, something no one would ever guess about me. Okay, people would probably not guess about me that in social situations, parties, particularly parties where I'm, I don't know everybody there, I become incredibly awkward inside, not outside. But I literally just stand by the shrimp dip and <laughs> not talk to anyone. I mean, seriously, I'm a very social person. I'm a yeah. very talkative person. But when I'm in a space where I don't know anybody and there's a lot of social and there's a lot of noise going on, the introverted part of me gets sort of awkward and I just desperately want to go home. <laughs> desperately. I, I go to the men's room and read. I'll do anything. <laughs> you do just like an Irish away. goodbye. The Irish goodbye where yeah, you just I, peace oh, out. You don't tell oh, anybody. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, and here's the other thing. I hate small talk. Oh, Yes. So if someone wants to say, oh, what do you do? Well, I'm a writer. Where do you, you know, oh, that's interesting. What do you write about? And I was like, well, I write. And then it's like, oh, my gosh. I'm going to, I really, I want to stick a fork in my eye uh, because I'm just, this is, and then you go to the next conversation and it's the exact (laughs) same same conversation you just had. Unless you happen to be talking to someone who's high on the narcissistic spectrum and all they're going to do is talk about their own lives while you listen. And it's terrible when you're a therapist because the moment someone finds out you're a therapist, they want to talk about, you know, I have a cousin who talks to himself and you're like, oh man, (sighs) you know, I can't help you. I can't help your cousin from 500 miles away. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, well, it's the price you pay. (laughs) That is Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Two more questions. The second to last question is if you were a professional athlete, think like well, baseball. I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you that would never happen. 
<laughs> well, in this hypothetical world where you are Ian Morgan Cron, you are the like starting uh, pitcher for the, do you have a favorite baseball team? <laughs> You're like, nope. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm so non-sports. We got rid of cable and everyone was like, well, how are you going to watch ESPN? And I'm, and I'm like, it wouldn't, first of all, I never understand why are there 30 ESPN channels in every hotel oh room, gosh, right? Yes. There's, and, and I'm like, I hate, I don't dislike sports. I'm a big runner. Uh, I work out a lot. I have a trainer, you know, I, I used to play, I grew up in New England. So I played a game called squash, oh, which yeah. lot, most people don't know, but it's played inside of a court. I was pretty good at it, but on the whole, like football, baseball, basketball, <laughs> I don't even know the rules, but go oh ahead and ask goodness. your question. Well, in, in this hypothetical world, you don't need to know anything about the sport to answer this question. Uh, but right, but it, I, wanted, it, I just wanted to make all that clear. I, oh, I love it. It's fantastic. It makes it, I feel like it makes this even better in this hypothetical world. Now knowing that you're walking up to the mound begrudgingly so <laughs> um confused confused <laughs> like, why am i here um well my question was is what is your hype song what's the song that gets you hyped up at the beginning of the game <laughs> oh hard living by chris stapleton i like it i like it i love I'm me some chris stapleton chris, oh i love me some chris stapleton so good totally. so so good. Okay. Well, this is my last question. Ian, this is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Well, you know, it's funny because I'm also just learning that right now. Mm. Um, you know, up until three years ago, I didn't have a team of people working with me. I was a solo guy, but writing books and doing what I did. Now I have like 10 people, you know, yeah. um, and thankfully a great management team that runs those 10 people with me. So I don't, you know, I'm not like the CEO of the, actually, I'm the product if I think about it. I'm not even the CEO. Um, wait a minute. That isn't that kind of insulting. I need to fix that. Um, you know, I think what it means to run a great business is what you asked, right? Uh, to run a business with purpose. Yeah, run a business with purpose. I think you have to be very clear about what it is that you do, why you do it, and execute it with as much integrity and excellence as you possibly can. Hmm. You know, like, for example, I'll tell you something that I do. One of the things that I've learned is, you know, when, when I'm asked to speak someplace, I get asked to speak a lot of places, you know, I always ask myself three questions, right? And by the way, this could change. So whatever. <laughs> but I always ask myself the question, is it going to help people? Hmm. If it's not going to help anybody, I'm not going. You, you, right? Yeah. Then the next question I ask myself is, will it bring joy? Mm. In other words, will, will it bring joy to me? And will it bring joy to the people that I'm doing it with? Will it bring joy to my team that we agreed to do it? Yeah. Right. And then obviously the last question I, I ask, because every business person has to ask is, will it positively affect the bottom line? I mean, you know, that's part of running business yeah. is you do have to think about profit and losses and you, you, you know, now I think I try to think of it in that order. And if I can't get two out of those three as yeses, then I won't do it. Mm. So I think putting yourself together some kind of decision tree of ethics and yeah. values yeah. That, that's against which you can make decisions when the, when the moment comes. You know, like the one about joy. Like one of the things I'll ask myself when I'm asking myself, will it bring joy is, 
well, my wife's not coming. Is this going to help people enough or generate so much revenue that it's worth me leaving home? Mm, that's a good question. Right? Because if, if it doesn't, it doesn't bring joy to my wife. It, it doesn't bring, you know, I have to be able to justify to her, oh, I'm going to Indianapolis for four days and you're going to be alone. Yeah. So I have to be, I have to be able to run it through my decision tree. And so I encourage people, you know, do you have a set of ethics, values against which you can make your decisions? Yeah. Boundaries too. Yeah. And boundaries, yeah, but that can be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's was, that was a lot of wisdom in that response. Ian. Well, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm actually kind of a beginner <laughs> at the business thing. So you caught me at a good moment. I mean, it is really, really fun and daunting at the same time, but I'm surrounded by really good people. Well, Ian, this has been truly just such a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom with us and thank you for your time. Well, I had a blast. It was a nice way to spend the afternoon. I'm about to go make a sandwich because I have a new batch of pesto and I have all the ingredients. I have sourdough bread from Whole Foods. Sourdough will work. Sourdough will totally work. Oh, and you know what else would be good on that? Is a little bit of that Parmesan crust on the outside of the bread. Yes, yes. And if you really want to be like super fancy, some sun-dried tomatoes. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's if you're feeling like real fancy. Yeah. I just want you to know though, I can't eat a sandwich without potato chips. There's just something you know, wrong that's about okay. that. So I have to eat potato chips, which means that by, let me see, is it one, one o'clock central, which means that by three o'clock, I will be in bed sound asleep <laughs> from the carb overload that you just recommended to me. You we'll are meetings. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you have brought me joy. <laughs> hey, that's my that's my goal in life. That's my underlying motivation. <laughs> there you go. Well, success. Success. Ian, this has just been so much fun. All right, friend, I would love to know what you loved about this episode or something that you learned in my conversation with Ian. Let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget to use that hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first time listener of the show, welcome new friend. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you are a regular listener of the show, thank you so much for tuning in week in and week out and thank you for your support. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, or basically wherever you listen to podcasts and click that subscribe or follow button. Clicking that button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And if you have a moment, would you mind leaving a review of the show? Leaving a review really does help me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. As always, this show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Now, thank you so much for listening and go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs> <laughs>